are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's guest is Carolyn Tucker. She is a life coach who specializes in working with adolescents and young adults. She is also a psychotherapist who specializes in working with clients with anxiety and trauma. Hi, Carolyn. How are you? Hi, Brandon. I'm well. Thank you so much for having me today. Yes, of course. Uh, yours is a uh, unique practice, I would say. Um, you know, I have spoken to coaches and psychotherapists on this podcast, but um, the reason why I was interested in speaking with you is because your particular uh, setup is actually split between your life coaching practice and your psychotherapist uh, work. Is that right? That's right. That's right. It's two separate two separate practices. Okay. So let's actually dive a little deeper into that because, um, you know, as listeners know by now, the purpose of the show is to help distinguish between these related uh, but very different fields of coaching, therapy, mm -hmm. counseling, uh, social work, and the like. So can you just take listeners through some of the basics behind the work you do as a coach and the work you do as a therapist and how those differ from each other from client to client? Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, as far as coaching goes, uh, my niche is definitely adolescents and young adults deal with issues like failure to launch or issues with time management or, uh, you know, maybe they need help with organizational skills or budgeting or, um, you know, figuring out what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. Um, so a lot of the work with them, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is targeted towards helping them develop certain skills, helping them, um, you know, figure out their life path, helping them, um, I use some project management software. So helping them figure out from beginning to end what a semester needs to look like, right? How much time they need to devote to studying. How do you, uh, how do you build balance into a life? So um, very goal oriented, the coaching business, um, very, you know, targeted towards things that we can change in the now. Um, and it's kind of, you know, more time limited, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, the therapy business is process oriented. So, um, you know, we're constantly looking at how do you feel about this? How can we change this? What came before this in your life? Right. So we're looking at uh, I practice from a psychodynamic perspective. So we're looking at everything that happened that brought us up to the now. It's not so much goal driven, although, of course, in therapy, we do have goals, but um, it's a very different uh, emotional process where it's it is more emotion focused. Not that we don't deal with emotions in um, coaching, but 
So you deal with them in a very different way in therapy. So um, I, does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, I wanted to I wanted to follow up on that um, by mentioning I, I kind of alluded to it before how the majority of coaches that I've spoken to that have a psychotherapy background they decided to kind of blend their practice by incorporating both techniques, both methods into mm-hmm. one and sometimes even with the same client. So just one individual client can receive therapy, but at the same time, um, as part of the same relationship, they can engage in a lot of coaching centered techniques that like you just mentioned, are more forward looking goal oriented um, you know, there's that accountability factor as well, which I, I want to touch upon a little bit later. So what I wanted to ask you is, is this how you envisioned your practice from your practices, I should say, from day one, where you wanted it very intentionally kept separately? Or did you initially have them combined and then you realize, you know, wait a minute, it might be better to have them separate? You know, as I was was building the machine, I envisioned them separate. Um, I I like to be doing a lot of things and <laughs> kind of have this uh, have this ability to look down a road and you know know what's going to work. And so I reverse engineered uh, each practice to accommodate time for the other. I really like you know, the dopamine hit that I get from coaching where, you know, weekly we're checking off things that we've accomplished and I'm able to give my client a high five. And, (laughs) uh, you know, it's a constant process of forward motion. I love that. I also love sitting with my therapy clients in a space where there's really no, there's no rush. There's no real expectation of what we should be accomplishing today except for the expectation that's bought by the client um the the time that we spend in sacred space in therapy is um not so much i I guess if we're going to compare brain chemicals it's not so much dopamine driven you know not getting the big reward hits yeah but it's more serotonin based right so it's it's very satisfying um that quality time where I'm able to go deep with people. So yeah, it, it, it it was fashioned this way on purpose in order to stimulate me for the different things that I love. Okay. And do you ever encounter a client where let's say, for example, they, they come to you as you as a therapist, they, they need therapy for, whatever challenge they're facing, and then you're able to make significant progress with that client and bring them back to, you might call baseline, where they have a clear understanding, everything is kind of congruent with their understanding of self, um, and they feel that maybe they're ready to take it to that next level, which is more in the realm of coaching. Do you ever um, do you ever kind of blend it that way with individual clients, or do you find that not to be the case? You know, I know that a lot of people do that. For me, I don't like to mix the two. If I if I have a, let's say, a therapy client who turns out needs some career coaching, I'm going to refer that person off. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. I have a, you know, I have a really robust network, and I believe that there's 
different needs for, you know, that different people meet. Um, I don't like to blur the lines myself between my process oriented work and my goal oriented work. That's a very, I guess, uh, limited view of it. But to me, that's kind of how I define them in my mind. Um, so yeah, I would probably refer that client off to somebody else. Um, if we, if we've accomplished what we had intended to in the therapeutic process. Right, right. And you're able to have two thriving practices doing it in precisely that way. So mm-hmm. I wanted, I just wanted to highlight and slash remind listeners who might have listened to previous episodes that there is no one correct way to do this. I think that's kind of the overarching message here, especially in the context of some of those previous conversations. You know, you have, because just to fill in some of the detail here, like, yeah, like, I have spoken to coaches that cannot envision ever separating the two. They think Mm -hmm. basically, and as you said, you know people who do the same. Um, They consider it to be one holistic practice that um, some clients might need some therapy. Some clients might need some coaching. Some clients at different points might need both. And they enjoy that challenge of combining Mm -hmm. the two. And you're saying, well, wait a minute. Your personal preference is to keep them separate you find it more um manageable that way and you think it and you're perfectly happy to refer out clients who might need um you know some coaching work after that therapy is has reached its conclusion and um that is what i love about these conversations is that there really is no one correct way everybody in that beginning stage is like yeah how do i figure this out how do i you know craft this ideal practice but there is no such thing um, it's it's whoever you are. It's whatever you feel is right, as long as you're abiding by, of course, ethical standards that um, you learn when you're in school. <clears throat> you know, it really is up to you how you want to structure your work and your practice. So, um, so yeah, I I appreciate that perspective that you're that you're bringing forward. Um, I want to delve a little bit more into kind of the challenges the challenging side of the work you do, both with respect to coaching and therapy. So everybody understands the benefit. You know, you have a client who's struggling. You have a client who wants to reach that next level. You have a client who has these mental and emotional blocks that might stem from childhood or um, whatever the case may be. You know Mm -hmm. that the reward of your work is to help, is to see them, is to help see them through that process. And, um, help them understand how they got here and how they can overcome some of those blocks. But the challenging side, I feel, is the part that a lot of new coaches might not be as familiar with because those are not as well advertised, perhaps, as or not as intuitive, perhaps, as as the positive side. So my question to you is, what have been some of the biggest challenges you faced in both of your practices and may, that maybe you didn't foresee when you first got into it and how have you worked to overcome those in your practice? Good question. Um, let's see. Let me, let me hit the, my coaching practice first. Um, probably the biggest challenge is when I have a motivated parent and a not so motivated young person. Mm. Um, it, then you have a parent who, uh, you know, may 
want to be driving the process. And in the beginning, I kind of accommodated more, I guess, parent input into the process and realized that it ended up compromising my relationship with the young person. Um, because, you know, at that point, then I just become the battering ram for the parent. Right. Right. And instead of the person who says to the parent, let me take this burden, let me take this challenge that is causing friction in your relationship with your young person. Let me take this for you. And then all you have to do is enjoy your child and I'll help them work on their focus and their organizational skills. And hopefully, you know, the work that we do will result in your happiness to, you know, resulting in maybe a room that's clean or, or whatever the, uh, you know, whatever the thing that the parent, you know, is, is driving towards. So some boundaries in between, I guess, the parent and the process that I know to work mm -hmm. was the, I guess, the, my learning curve, because I wanted to, I don't know, include everybody to their heart's content. And I, I saw pretty early on that it did not present me and my most effective self doing that. So right. um, we take the, the parents' input in the beginning. I do check-ins with the parent. Um, and, they, you know, they're certainly a part of the process, but not the driving piece. So that, uh, that to me, having a system that I know works, it's important that I protect that. So that probably from my coaching perspective has been the, the biggest learning curve. Right. Let me switch hats. Um, <laughs> therapy wise. You know, in the beginning, I found myself um, sometimes wanting things more than my clients did or wanting different things than what they wanted or um, having a want at all. Um, and so turning loose of expectations, I think, has been my journey as a therapist and being able to be comfortable coming into the room, uh, knowing that beautiful transformation is going to happen um, without me feeling like I'm working harder than my client. Right. Right. So, so yeah. from what I'm understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but could this have also to do with maybe, in some cases, the speed at which the client does go through these transformative steps? Whereas, you know, you you might expect or hope that the client can, I don't know, within two, three months, reach, you know, this level of, of progress. But in reality, mm -hmm. it's taking them four to six months to reach that that same that same evolutionary step and so is that one example of what you might be talking about where you have an expectation or a hope that might not be met by the client in quite the timeline that you expected sometimes it has to do with timelines and sometimes it has to do with um you know maybe really sitting back and listening to what the client wants for themselves right and me not trying to drive that um, you know, uh, in dealing with couples, 
you know, there's this situation where I can help you stay or I can help you go. And I have to allow them to make that decision, right? Um, so it's kind of kind of the same, I guess, the same uh, mechanism that's in place. I, now I do more of helping them trust their own intuition, to learn to trust themselves, to know how to drive, right. and to know how to to give me feedback on how how was what we did last session, and you know what would you like to address this session in the same way or in a different way. Right. So I guess, you know, a lot of it I think is, is probably helping the client find their voice um, and to trust their own intuition and me not feeling the responsibility of knowing, you know, or believing that I know what's best for them. Yeah. And actually you're, you're reminding me a lot of some of the conversations I've had with coaches. I know you're talking about therapy in particular, mm -hmm. your therapy clients, but this is where the two practices kind of um, meet, where they have similarities, because one of the most common things you'll hear coaches say is let the client be the driver of where it is they want to go. They might not know the steps to get there, and that's where mm -hmm. the coach comes in to help kind of, you know, guide them in that in you know in the right path but the end result at least should be driven by the client's desires not by yours and that's one of the most difficult things that young coaches face because instinctively right as a person when you hear someone else's story when you hear the struggles that they're facing whether it's weight loss or whether it's um you know uh, challenges with a relationship or um, whatever the case may be you have instinctively like an idea of what that end result should be. It's kind of like if you see a word and somebody says, I'm going to show you a word, but don't read it. It's kind of impossible. How do you, how does your brain not process what that word is if you look at it? But in a way, it's that same, it's that same suspension of, um, I guess, expectation from a client, from a coach's perspective that you have to learn over time to, to do because it can never come from you. Um, Right. And if, That's right. Yeah. And if it does, I mean, not only are you doing the client a disservice, but you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not in the interest of, of your clients anymore. You're in the interest of your That's own right. preconceived notions of where they should be. So, That's right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Part, of what, part of what sets, I think, both of my practices apart is that um, I have a lot of tools in each business and so I offer a lot of tools and I invite my client to say oh, that's not going to work for me Ooh, I really like that one right so uh, getting a taste for the ways that they learn that the the interventions that resonate with them really helps me to be able to put together you know a system that uh, is kind of tailored towards their individual, how they're wired. Mm -hmm. So, um, right, yeah, right. That's that's fantastic, and actually, that's another. Um, I think that's one of the the real benefits that has come to the forefront with coaching, uh, specifically because coaching is it's growing. I would probably say faster in a way because it's more relatively it's it's relatively newer than therapy so mm -hmm. the science mm -hmm. the techniques the methods are 
um, you can probably fairly say they're growing faster at a faster rate. And a lot of these are those, um, you know, like the intake questionnaires that are so critical for for setting the groundwork for the entire relationship. Um, if we had more time, I, I would actually ask you specifically what your favorite, um, you know, questions there would be. But um, but yeah, suffice to say that it's it is a critical element of any relationship that a coach has with a client to kind of know what um, I guess the intended result of the relationship is. So, um, so I, I, yeah. can I can I quickly tell you kind of a, a favorite tool? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm what's called a brain healthy practitioner with the Amen Clinics. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Amen's work, but he does functional MRIs of the brain. Oh, and, okay. Uh, so as part of my work with them, I use what's called the Amen Clinics Brain Systems Checklist. And this checklist correlates at about 95 to 98% with what those brain scans are going to show. So I have everybody, I don't care which business they're coming to me through, do the Amen Clinics Brain Systems Checklist. That's going to show me which areas of your brain are overstimulated, understimulated, uh, out of balance. And um, then I start with the Amen Clinic's recommendations for lifestyle changes, um, supplements, uh, you know, diet, that type of thing. So that's, that's the first thing that I do. And sometimes that's all they need is to be, to be aware, hey, I have social anxiety because my basal ganglia is lit up. Um, I can drink green tea and go for a walk before I go to, I don't know, this group thing that I have been anxious about. And the L-theanine in the green tea calms my basal ganglia so that I'm able to attend this group meeting and not feel anxious. Right, right. And actually, I want to make sure I have that in the show notes correctly. So you mentioned that's the Amen Clinic. That's A-M-E-N Clinic. Mm -hmm. Clinics, C-L-I-N-I-C-S. Okay. And the name of the assessment, can you just repeat that? It's the Amen Clinic's Brain Systems Checklist. Perfect. Okay. I will make sure to include a note um, underneath our interview to make sure that anybody interested can go ahead and check that out. Okay. Yeah, I think that's really valuable. Um, perfect. So the, the the final topic I wanted to discuss here, something that a lot of coaches struggle with in the very beginning of their kind of journey to establishing their practice, um, as you said before, kind of igniting that engine, is the idea of choosing a niche. So um, some coaches that I've spoken to say, um, you know, it's okay to kind of just be a general life coach. You know, if that's what mm -hmm. you feel that your passion is, then if your passion is truly just with the human mind and the human psyche and, you know, reaching a new level in your life, then it's perfectly appropriate to be a generalist. But I would say the majority of coaches have said um, it's okay to be a generalist for a while, but eventually you're going to want to steer toward maybe one or two uh, niches that you specialize mm -hmm. in. So can you just take us through maybe your early process with regards to choosing a niche and how you settled on the ones that you're at now in terms of maybe some personal experience you had in your own life that led you here? Sure. Um, 
So I noticed that, you know, meeting once a week with my adolescent and young adult clients was not, I wasn't feeling the traction that maybe I did with my adult clients, or I wasn't feeling the traction that I wanted to feel um, with the adolescent or young adult as far as, you know, moving forward and, um, you know, really feel like they were making a difference. So, you know, then as a therapist, I'm trying brief solution focused therapy, right? To try to, uh, I don't know, help us realize that we've made a difference. And the more of that that I did, the more that I saw, well, young people need structure. They need accountability. They need um, somebody that is there, somebody that's on the other end, right? Um, I, I have much more contact with my coaching clients than I do my therapy clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, my coaching clients have, uh, you know, an, a journaling software where it's HIPAA encrypted, where they're allowed, they're able to journal about, you know, how they met their goals for the day. And um, I'm able to follow them. And we have project management software where they have all of their um, school assignments, right? So I can check on anybody at any time to see how are we doing with this. So it's much, it was much more concrete in the trenches um, with them on a much more regular basis uh, that I was craving Right. And I saw coaching as the way to be able to um, provide me the access, I think, that I needed on more of a regular basis and the ability to be right there with them by some of the tools, the digital tools that I use. Right. So it wasn't really helpful. Right. If I see a kid on Tuesday as a therapist and then they come in the following week. And I say, well, how was your week? And they say, well, Wednesday was horrible. And I'm like, well, what happened? I don't know. Something happened Tuesday night. I'm like, well, what were you thinking Tuesday night? I don't remember. <laughs> and then we lose that good information. Yeah. It's a missed opportunity for sure. Exactly. Exactly. So some of, some of the digital tools that I use help keep me there in the moment with them so that I can see, you know, it, it would be the equivalent of like a behavior chain analysis, right? Where we look at, you know, what led up to you eating the donut or, you know, what led up to you deciding not to study for your test. Um, So I can't remember your question, but I think, I hope I answered it. (laughs) You you did. You did. And actually you're, you're bringing up a point that I mentioned earlier regarding accountability. And the, the original question was about choosing a niche. Um, and what I like about what you, the story you just relayed is you started with one focus, psychotherapy, and then you weren't afraid to expand your toolbox. Um, Mm -hmm. you didn't necessarily have to blend it into your current practice, but you weren't afraid to expand that toolbox with other practices that were out there, um, that you felt were valuable. And so, Mm -hmm. That's that perfectly answers the question, I believe, of, of choosing a niche because the answer is you don't have to know everything from day one. You can you can have an idea of the kind of practice you want to have, but the only way to really know the most effective setup for you and 
you know, given your own sensibilities, given your own understanding of, of your clients, you, you need to do the work to, to really know accurately how you want to expand, what niche you want to occupy. Maybe there's a niche that you no longer feel connected to and you want to scale that back. You know, it's not, a, it's not set in stone mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. you first start your practice. So yeah, when I came out of school, I had gotten certified as a licensed sex offender treatment specialist and a licensed forensic counselor. And um, I found that really fascinating. It, during my internship, I worked with juvenile sex offenders and kids in the juvenile justice system. Um, after a couple of years, I really did see uh, that did not lend to the life that I was creating my, for myself outside of my work, right. just because of the degree of, I don't know, stress for lack of a, you know, a, a better kitchen sink term um, that that brought into my life. So, yeah, you, you, you learn these things as you go and you see, uh, you know, does this organically fit with who I want to be? Because I'm constantly doing the work of becoming me, right? As uh, the number one thing that's going on in any of these pictures, right? If I'm not evolving and growing, then, uh, you know, how can I expect my clients to? Right. Um, so, yeah. And then you, you pick and choose what, I think, what you feel like you have a gift for, what you see results in. And um, what fits with your life and your lifestyle. I also like working with young people because I'm a night owl. <laughs> I mean, that's, that sounds very simplistic, but uh, never have been a morning person. Like being able to have a session at, you know, nine or 10 o'clock at night. That fits well with how, you know, with my... Uh, that circadian, circadian rhythm, huh? Yeah, my circadian <laughs> rhythm. Um, my chronotype, shall we say. And um, so, you know, that's just one more thing that makes my adolescent and young adult coaching really attractive to me. You know, not a lot of people want to go to therapy at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, that, now you're starting to sound like <laughs> me a little bit because I am definitely a night owl. I get all my best work done at night. Uh-huh. And um I mean, I, that's one reason why I went into business for myself as well. I mean, this is um, a benefit of being an entrepreneur. You can, you can craft your career around who you are, your own, yeah. your own unique personality traits. And, and it works. It works. Yes. That's, that's something that uh, with both businesses, I try to really hope my clients realize that I, uh, you get to craft your life like this is art that you're doing and you're you're building this amazing wonderful thing with the minutes that you're given like this is this is your opus that you're building what do you want it to look like what do you want it to feel like and for myself i'm out in front doing that in a, in a really big way i um i lost my oldest child seven years ago to an accidental overdose oh i'm sorry and uh, Thank you. Uh, so substance use was too close to home for me, right? I That's like probably not something that I should be doing or, or actually want the responsibility to. But a certain percentage of my therapy practice is LGBTQ adolescents and young adults. 
So my son was isolated just like these kids are. I could see the similarities, right? Um, and so I decided to open a nonprofit coffee house for LGBTQ adolescents and young adults in the metro Atlanta area. So um, that's my heart project, my passion project. Um, and if I didn't have the freedom that I have because I am building all of these wheels, I guess, um, in a certain way, I wouldn't be able to be working on that as well. So, yeah, I love the idea that we are crafting our own lives. We're making our minutes count mm -hmm. and we can do with it what we want. Yeah, that's your every time you respond to one question, you're, you're bringing up another um, important topic that I, I wanted to, to bring up. And in this case, it's the idea that whatever work you do, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but whatever work you do as a coach or therapist, it's best done if you have a personal connection in some way to, mm -hmm. to that mm -hmm. work. And another coach that I spoke to said it to me like this. He said, you have to love your clients. And he didn't mean that in a, obviously a personal way or even in a corny kind of way. He meant it like for real, you have to love the unique situation that your clients find themselves in. You have to appreciate and um, truly empathize with the nuances of that experience because Absolutely. it's not enough it's not enough to just say i care about people i'm going to be a coach i mean that's a nice start but the best work i think is done when you do have that personal connection because the clients yeah. pick up on that and like you just said it's a passion project so um so yeah thank you for thank you for all of your insight for being um honest for being you know I think very informative for anybody listening who wants to start up their own practice. And um, yeah, Carolyn, I really appreciate your time today. So thank you for coming onto the show. Yeah, Brandon, thank you so much for having me. This has been great fun. Awesome. Um, very last thing before I let you go, I want to give you the chance to tell listeners how they can find you, what um, your website and social media accounts so they can learn more. Okay. So my therapy website would be carolyntuckertherapist.com. My coaching website is tuckerandassociatescoaching.com. Um, if you're looking on Facebook, Tucker and Associates Coaching or Carolyn Tucker, LPC, author, speaker, psychotherapist. Um, and I think that under those two names, you could find me on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn. Wow, yep. you're you're all over, aren't you? <laughs> I am. That's great. Am. That's great. Yeah. Um, perfect. Well, Carolyn, again, thank you so much for coming on, and I'm sure listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So thanks so much, Brandon. You yeah. have a great day. Likewise. Thank you. Bye bye. bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.